I recently put Google Analytics onto the Flying Podcast website, and uh, after a month or so, it turns out that the uh, podcast has been uh, listened to in uh, about 48 countries around the world during November. Now, I can't believe that uh, people in China or places like Indonesia and Russia actually download and listen to the podcast, but uh, there you go. And to prove the point, uh, I was contacted recently by some folks down there in New Zealand saying that uh, they'd like to appear on the podcast. One of their instructors uh, is a chap called Alex Turnbull. He's uh, originally from Morpeth in the northeast of the UK and has travelled all the way to the other side of the world to pursue his dream of flying GA in one of the most uh, interesting and challenging environments. So it's been a bit of a dream of mine to uh, fly in different countries around the world, so uh, I thought it would be great to hear from someone that's actually uh, fulfilling his own dream. So for episode 49 of Flying Podcast, I called up Alex Turnbull uh, in New Zealand using the magic of Skype. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> it's going very well. How's it down there? <laughs> oh, not too bad. Hey, the sound quality is amazing, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is considering you're the other side of the world, yeah. Yeah. Just coming up to the height of summer for you guys, eh? Uh, yeah, we've had a couple of uh, hot days, actually. Um, yesterday was, was pretty warm, um, and uh, uh, it's been pretty windy recently, which is kind of typical for spring, but hopefully that's all gone now. Okay, Alex, uh, where do you fly at the moment? Um, so I'm flying with the, uh, the Walker Tipperary Club, um, which is in Queenstown, um, New Zealand, um, South Island of New Zealand. Brilliant. Uh, and uh, what's, your, what's your position down there at uh, Wakatipu? Um, so I'm a flight instructor. Um, it's an aero club, so I'm, I'm also the, the vice president and uh, treasurer of the aero club. So I kind of look after a bit of the day-to-day -day running of it. But primarily, um, I'm doing flight instruction um, and also scenic flights um, and aerobatic flights. Brilliant. Now then, you're originally from uh, the UK, aren't you? Uh, can you give us some detail of uh, how the heck you uh, ended up down there in New Zealand. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm originally from from the UK, from the northeast, um, from Morpeth, just north of Newcastle. Yeah, know it well. Originally, all, all what I wanted to do was I wanted to join the RAF um, and fly fly in the RAF um, ever since I can remember. And uh, I, that was when I did my first flying was with the Air Cadets, which is probably same for for quite a few people. First, when I went gliding and, and flying with the Air Cadets. Yeah. Um, and then I. Uh, um, in high school, I, I was lucky enough to get an RAF um, flying scholarship, so that was the first 20 hours of my of my flying. Um, so I did that in 2001, and up in um, Fife, um, Glenrothes, which yep. is a little little aerodrome just uh, just north of Edinburgh. Um, that was in uh, 152s. So I did, uh, and that was that was a very condensed course. So it was pretty much it was 20 hours over. Um, two two and a bit weeks, um, and in that time we went through all of it. Um, went solo and did a little bit of post solo um, flying, and then um, when I went back to uh, back home, um, I did a bit of flying with um, Newcastle Aero Club um, in the Piper in Piper Cherokees. So I started working towards um, basically finishing my my UK PPL, um, and I got to probably about 45 hours that I'd done in the UK and um, done a couple of cross countries. But I was at high school at the time, so the thing I wasn't doing was I couldn't keep up with doing the exams and my sort of my A-levels at the same time. Um, so the kind of the, that flying had to go on the back burner for a bit, and then I went to, went to university. And 
and that's when I kind of decided that uh, I didn't want to go into didn't want to go into the RAF anymore, but I still wanted to fly. What, um, what made you change really... your mind? Sorry, what made sorry, you change sorry, your sorry. mind about uh, joining the RAF? There was a lot. There was a lot of things going on. That was the time when the uh, when the Iraq War um, was sort of starting, um, and I kind of just a lot of a lot of things going on. Then I did, decided I didn't really want to get involved in that, and but I I kind of at that point they probably realised that I wanted to fly more than I wanted to join the military. Yeah. So because um, it was always it was always the flying that, that was the reason I wanted to join. It wasn't wasn't that I wanted to to do anything else. See what I mean? Yep. Um, so yes, I decided that I wanted to do. GA flying rather than go go straight to the airlines, um, and that's something I may do in the future. I'm not not quite sure. It depends where where things go. But I wanted to sort of um, do a bit of sort of like bush type GA flying. So there isn't really a lot of a lot of that stuff in the UK. Um, so I looked at other countries that that have a sort of a bigger a bigger GA sort of sector. Um, and I looked, I looked at the states and Canada and Australia and New Zealand, and I kind of just doing a bit of research into the countries. Decided I like, I like the idea of New Zealand, so I, uh, so that's what I decided to do. And I, I went back home after university um, and uh, lived with my parents for two years, and basically worked um, and just saved everything that I that I earned, so I had enough money for the for the training. And then I uh, travelled around New Zealand and looked for look for different places to, to go to um, and having done quite a bit of research into sort of into flying and, and that sort of thing um, I kind of knew that the, um, the one of the hardest things to do is, is getting your first job yeah. um, so that's kind of one of the things that I had in mind um, when I was traveling around looking at, at different places and that's really the sort of the opportunity that one of the opportunities here is that um, the Aero Club here has—it's um, an Aero Club, but it also has a um, commercial arm, yeah. which does scenic flying um, and that sort of thing. So that's it's kind of—it gives you a first step in, into sort of employment. So they basically will will hire if you if you if you get on okay with your training and you and you sort of um, you're up to speed at the end of it, then most people will get will get a job at the end of it and it's not sort of like it's not sort of like a, a full-time full-time position it's kind of per flight when you're required um but it's again it's like it gives you the opportunity to get that first couple of hundred hours of like actual commercial flying in your, in your logbook which okay. is what which is sort of the hardest bit so obviously you finished your ppl off down there then went what, straight onto the cpl yeah, so I didn't. I didn't actually finish my PPL. It was pretty. I mean, it's a forty-five hours. It was, it was pretty close to it in the in the UK. Um, but I, yeah, had it, hadn't flown for seven years um, when I probably about seven years when I got here. So, um, yep, got kind of got straight back into it and uh, and hammered through the exams and uh, yeah, finished my PPL and uh, went um, straight on. Did my CPL. Two ways that uh, pilots sort of come into the organization here they'll either sort of come through and do their, their PPL and CPL with us or um, they'll have done it somewhere else and they'll come in from outside um, because they're wanting to, to try and get a, a job in the area so then they'll they do the um, the man of flying course here yep. so I kind of I did that in between my PPL and CPL as part of the hour building and that that sort of thing um, so I'd done that on route and then so by the time I've got my CPL um, there wasn't really a lot of a lot else to do other than um, some final sort of route training. Okay, and you, obviously you uh, you must have done an instructor rating if you're now a, an instructor. 
Yeah, so I did that did that the following year. Yeah, spent a year just doing um, just doing scenic flights and uh, to build up my to build up my hours because in uh, in New Zealand you need 100 and, uh, 150 hours um, pilot and command time before you can be an instructor, um, and which I didn't didn't have when I when I started flying commercially. So um, yeah, built up built up that time and then started working towards the instructor rating. Um, and so yeah, so now I do um, do mainly instructing, but also with a bit of commercial stuff. Okay, so you picked New Zealand just because you like the look of the place, and then what you, you what hired a car and just drove around looking for a, a suitable aero club to uh, to do your training at. Um, I actually I, I yeah I picked it because I like the idea of the place and also the the terrain and the the type of flying that they've that that there is here, especially down in the South Island. Yeah. Um, and as I said, I had I sort of had two years to, to plan everything because I needed needed the time to save up the money in um, in England so I kind of I did quite a bit of research um, online and um, sent lots of emails backwards and forwards to different different flying schools and in, in, in the country so I had a, I had a reasonable idea of, of what opportunities there were in different places so I kind of um, narrowed it down to areas that I wanted to go to um, and sort of traveled around specifically to kind of to visit those different those different areas. Am I right in thinking it's uh, Lord of the Rings territory? Uh, it is, yep. Certainly uh, down down where we are. Um, they've actually just been filming uh, The Hobbit last week, uh-huh. just up uh, the northern end of the lake here. So uh, yeah, so hopefully that'll get a get a few more visitors back back here. Okay, uh, just uh, give us like a, a brief sort of um, uh, an overview of what the area looks like. I mean, have a look at the pictures, and it, it is truly <laughs> superb, stunning place, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's sort of like coming coming from the UK when, when I uh, when I first got here. Even even though I'd, Queenstown when I travelled around New Zealand, Queenstown was actually the last place that I visited. Um, I spent some time in the North Island, sort of gradually working my way south. Um, and uh, um, from all the sort of having having spent two years doing research and that sort of thing, and, and having all the the like sort of preconceived ideas that you might have about a place it kind of when i got to when i got here was kind of when when it sort of all fit into place and i thought yeah this is this is actually what i was really expecting um from the flying and that sort of thing yeah um so you've got um so queens queenstown's um situated sort of the lower um southwest part of the um, um of the south island of new zealand um and sort of the southern lakes um region so You've got the the, um, the town itself, which is the, the permanent population here is about thirty thousand, um, and I can't remember the exact figures, but over the summer it's uh, sort of three or four times, or maybe even five, five or six times that with with tourists and, and visitors. Um, and uh, so Queenstown is situated next to um, Lake Wakatipu, which is um, the third largest lake in in New Zealand, um, which is a, basically a long it's quite a long, thin lake and sort of a an, almost an S or, or a lightning bolt sort of type shape. Um, and I think from memory it's about 60, 70 uh, miles long. Um, and then sort of surround, surrounding that you've got um, the Remarkables mountain range, which is out to the east. That goes up to 7,500 feet. Um, and then you've got... Uh, Further out to the west, you're heading sort of out towards the Fiordland National Park, um, out towards the west coast and Milford Sound. Um, up to the north, you've got 
Mount Aspiring, which is just under 10,000 feet high. Um, so you pretty much, as soon as you get airborne, you, you, you're in the mountains. It's um, There is sort of there's the basin area where um, where there's a lot of the town, but around, around even even in the circuit, you're, you're sort of you're interacting with um, with terrain. So it, from that point of view, it's quite um, it's um, a little bit more challenging possibly than than learning to fly somewhere else. And um, I we I actually find myself sort of when you when you're instructing, um, especially people who haven't flown somewhere else. So I kind of had probably had maybe the benefit of having flown somewhere else before I came here. But when you're sort of flying here with people who haven't flown anywhere else, you, you find yourself saying, this is what we do here. But if you go to a, a normal aerodrome, you would do you would do something else sort of thing. <laughs> so it's a bit yeah. funny in that respect. Yeah, it's, it's very alpine, isn't it? It looks almost Swiss. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of people say if you if you want to see Switzerland, then you uh, you go to Queenstown. Yes, right. Now, is the snow on the mountains all year round, or is it just a, a winter thing? Uh, there is on the uh, sort of the higher peaks. Um, pretty much the ones surrounding us. That's all gone now. Um, we're coming into summer now. Um, but the the higher the higher peaks, sort of further out, um, they they're permanently snow capped. Wonderful. Uh, the aerodrome is quite high, isn't it? Uh, Twelve hundred feet. Yep. Um, so, yeah, um, reason, reasonably high. Um, it's uh, not the highest in New Zealand. There's one, uh, I think, which is uh, two and a half thousand feet, and it's sort of uh, yeah, twelve twelve hundred feet. It's got a um, run, main. We got the main runway is uh, about seventeen eighteen hundred meters long, um, and we've got a, a crossing runway which is actually being sealed at the minute. It used to be grass, but they're actually sealing it at the minute. You have a fairly big commercial stuff going in and out of there. Um, yeah, A three twenties, seven three sevens is the wow. the biggest that, that that comes in here. So they, um, it's an international airport. So they there are well, it's an international airport, but it, there's only sort of flights to Australia. Um, there's no other international destinations. Okay. Um, so there's Qantas fly in here, um, Air New Zealand, um, Pacific Blue, and and Jetstar all fly in here internationally as well as as well as domestically so you've got a you've got a320 737s uh atrs uh are the main main commercial aircraft that come in here um plus we get because of the destination we get quite a lot of um business jets coming in here as well great uh, the, as far as the aero club goes uh, what sort of aircraft do you operate um so we got uh one four 172s um and uh also, um, a Tura Six, uh, Cessna Tura Six, and a, a, um, a Technam, um, which is like a two-seat. Um, it's uh, probably what you would call in the states a, a, an LSA. Yeah. Um, although it's, although it's, just, it's it's a certified aircraft, but it, it, it could it could equally be a microlight. Yeah. And uh, and we've also got a, the Pit Special, which we use for aerobatics. Wonderful. Um, so, so for 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 flight training, we use the one seven twos primarily. Okay. Uh, tell me a little bit more then about the sort of uh, flying. I mean, you've mentioned a bit of stuff that you do from down there, but what sort of flying do you mainly do from Queenstown? Other than the, uh, so we've got the sort of primary and, uh, and commercial f- flight training. Yeah. Um, and then you've got the um, the mountain mountain flying. A lot of uh, a lot of the flying that we do during the summer is um, either other than our other than our training. It's the um, scenic flights um, out to Milford Sound. So Milford Sound's about forty miles or so. Um, 45 miles in a straight line from Queenstown. It's one of the one of the most popular tourist destinations in New Zealand. Is that a fjord, um, isn't it? Is that a fjord in Fjordland? 
Yeah, it's it's actually it's a fjord in Fjordland. It's actually it it's it's misnamed. It should be Milford Fjord, but it's uh it's actually was was named Milford Sound. Okay. Um, a fjord being carved by a glacier as a as a sound's carved by a river. Um, so they just when it whenever it was named got it got it the wrong way around. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, so that but that's um although it's relatively close in a straight line to drive from Queenstown to Milford is about five and a half hours or so on a coach yep. each each way so a lot of people um obviously don't want to do the drive they just want to they just want to get there and, and go on a on a boat cruise out out on the sound so there's there's a reasonably big industry of, of um different sort of ga operators flying people from queenstown to milford because it's only about a half an hour 35 minute flight so you have to uh, land you land down there do you yeah yep so uh it's that's quite an interesting airfield to to fly into. Um, if you have a look on if you have a look at it on, on Google Earth, it's um, and if you look at the, the proximity of the terrain around there, it's sort of even more so than Queenstown. Yep. Um, so that's sort of the the primary tourist destination for us um, during the summer. And um, we have we do other other sightseeing flights up um, towards Mount Cook um, and that sort of thing. And then um, the other thing we do is we got a lot of foreign pilots come on holiday to New Zealand and obviously instead of they want to they want to go and do the, the flying and the, and, and the scenic flights but they they want to fly themselves rather than rather than be flying around because they, they are a pilot they sort of they want to get their hands on the controls so um, we do quite a lot of that which is basically um, just them flying around with them to, to sort of keep them keep them right and, and show them a bit of mountain flying techniques and that sort of thing on the way because they can't obviously legally they can't fly without a New Zealand license here anyway okay. um and it's and given the terrain and the busy airspace and sort of all the peculiar procedures here, it's not. We if somebody sort of came up here and presented a license, you, you, we'd want to go for a few flights with them to check to check they're okay um, before they, we let them go off anyway. Okay, mountain flying—that's something that uh, people from the UK would uh, have no experience of, I, I would imagine. Uh, what are the particular uh, problems associated with that sort of training? It's uh, it's kind of all about learning how you. The airplane sort of interacts with the mountains, and, and what sort of conditions you're going to you're going to expect. Obviously, the weather plays a big a big part in it. Um, on sort of, on a clear day with with very little wind, um, you d- you don't get the sort of effects. So you don't get the, the downdrafts and the, the turbulence and, and that sort of thing. Um, so so we typically when we start out doing that sort of training, um, the first thing we all do is. Uh, have a look at um, valley flying. Um, so, how you'd fly up a valley, and we fly on the on the right hand side for sort of right of way rules. But of, but there may be reasons why you wanted to fly on the left because of downdrafts and, and that sort of thing. So, and just looking at um, maneuvering the aircraft and and how you position it. And so, you always want to have the aircraft in a place where um, you can turn around. Um, what what people tend to do is that when they first come here, is they'll they'll tend to fly in the middle of the valley and they'll. And you'll try and get them to move to the side, and then sort of subconsciously, the aircraft drifts back to the middle, yeah. uh, which is kind of a—it's a kind of a natural reaction because you—you've you, got this terrain around you, so you sort of subconsciously trying to get as far away from it as try possible. Sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, and that's that's not so much of an issue if, if you're in a nice big wide valley, you've got space to turn around. But the narrower the valley gets, obviously, if you put yourself in the middle, you may not be able to turn either way. Whereas if you have the aircraft on the side, you've got you, you've got a um, more space to turn so um in a, in a big wide valley sort of anywhere to the right is fine um obviously it's narrower you want to be be harder harder up against the side of the valley so it's um sort of showing them that sort of thing and also um 
because uh, obviously all the flying we do around here is VFR. Um, so when you when you're flying VFR, your primary reference is, is the horizon, which we which you don't have here. So the other big thing is getting people used to um, imagining where that horizon line would be. So thinking about either trying to look through the look through the mountains to where where it would be if the sky was coming down to meet meet the sea, or or picking where it would be and looking at some features on on what you can see in front of you. So thinking sort of at the horizon, what's going to go from the, the top of that bush line to the, where that rock is to where the where that tree is over there, that sort of thing, yeah. and then. And sort of superimposing it and using that because you'll you'll find that um, a lot of people as they as they turn and, and, and towards terrain they'll consciously start to raise the nose, yeah. um, and as they turn sort of back towards the middle of the valley and and, the, and it opens out they'll they'll lower the nose um, and it takes people even even sort of experienced pilots who've had no had no exposure to it sort of four or five hours to sort of um, get over that initial sort of like pitching up and down as you as you're turning. Yeah. Um, so, getting those sort of those techniques um, first of all, um, and then looking at um, saddle crossings. Um, so, crossing over ridge lines and saddles into different valleys, and how you how you approach that. Um, and the thing with these sorts of things is, especially with like saddle crossings, it's always you can tell people sort of the um, the right way to the right way to do it, but it's always a compromise of lots of different factors on the day. Yeah. I mean, you you might approach one saddle and cross it one particular way or one day if you come back tomorrow or even that afternoon because the weather's changed and there's a cloud in a different position the winds changed direction or it's strengthened or, or whatever you, you cross it a completely different way so it's just um, um, telling people giving, giving them the theory and then sort of just going out and experiencing them under, under different conditions and also a bit of um, navigation and, and navigating through through valley systems and that sort of thing um, and also um, strip flying so flying into we've got plenty of um, farm strips and um, top dressing strips that we can use around here for um, for strip training and um, and also um, landing on, on the beach out, out on the west coast as well. Uh, so you've mentioned the uh, the mountain flying element. What are sort of the, the other challenges you face from uh, flying from Queenstown? Is the weather very changeable in, in southern South, South Island, New Zealand? Um, it, it can be. Um, Queenstown's, uh, because it's um, it's not, I guess, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that far inland, but it is. It is inland, and there's um, there's a, a big range of mountains between us and the the west, which is where we obviously to, we get all, predominantly our weather systems come from the west. Yeah. Um, and because because there's a there's a big range of mountains in between, um, we get sheltered from a lot of the um, a lot of the weather systems for in in that that respect so out on, out on the west coast you can get sort of seven meters of rain a year whereas here in, in queenstown we probably get about one meter so it's it's actually quite quite dry yeah. um and so um we can't we can the weather can change quickly um here as well but not so much um as it does sort of further out to the west and um so you've got other than other than sort of the the terrain and the mountain flying aspect of it um you've got you've got the the weather and also um the fact that it's um, it's quite busy airspace, um, especially during the the winter, actually, is when it tends to be busier because of the uh, we've got three ski fields um, within sort of close proximity to Queenstown, so it's quite a popular ski destination. Um, so that tends to be when we get most of the sort of the commercial flights coming in here is during the winter with bringing skiers from especially from Australia. Um, 
so you've got busy, you've got busy airspace, and you've also got the fact that um, it's not sort of like you like where I I remember where I flew in um, in the UK and uh, in Newcastle was sort of um, a similar sort of size aircraft with uh, sort of sort of similar size airfield with a similar mix of traffic with um, airliners and and sort of your your typical GA training activity going on, but you've got because you haven't got the terrain you've got sort of they have the, the typical um, Instrument arrival and departure fans. So basically, the the the, the IFR traffic is is on a long final, and then once they get airborne, they're sort of they're climbing away. Whereas we we don't have the room for that in Queenstown. Um, there's no there's no ILS approach here because the um, because of the terrain, there isn't the, the space for the aircraft to sort of to line up on an ILS approach. Okay. Um, so all of the approaches are, are sort of um, VOR approaches, or most of the airlines are now flying um, GPS approaches. Okay. They're following the GPS tracks, um, so just trying to mix in with all with all that sort of thing. So it's extremely busy then. Uh, it can be. I mean, on a on a on a busy day, um, you can get um, you've got sort of a couple of aircraft, um, a couple of aircraft training um, airliners coming in and out. Um, you've also got um, the um, there's a parachute drop zone which is uh, just south of the airfield, so the, they they don't take off and land from here, but they they take off and land from the strip they use, but they they're in in the controlled airspace, so they're they're um, they're getting clearances from Queenstown to do all that sort of thing. You've also got uh, aircraft at two other parachute drop zones will climb up through Queenstown's upper level airspace um, to do their drops, so the the radio can be pretty busy on a on a on a busy day, and then you've got aircraft. Um, returning from Milford Sound or, or going out to Milford Sound on flight on, on sightseeing flights, um, and then you, and then you sort of throw into the mix as well a few itinerant pilots who are, who are a little bit unsure, so they um, they're taking the time to get their um, their radio calls out and that sort of thing. So yeah, it can it can be quite challenging. Right. Uh, you mentioned um, strip landings away and uh, beach landings. Did you say? What yeah. What are there uh, other sort of memorable flights you can do from there uh, from Queenstown? Going out to the beach is is always fun. There's uh, a beach um, out on the west coast called Big Bay, which is a bit, uh, a little bit north of Milford. Um, so uh, we can go out there. You can pretty much use the beach um, two hours either side of low tide. Um, so there is there is a, a plane park there, but you to, you really need a, a tail drag or something like a, a one a Cessna 185 or a Piper Cub or something like that to get it into the plane park. So something like a 172 or a Tier 6, you, you can only really leave on the beach. Um, so, um, yeah, it's only usable for about about four hours. So, you, um, But it's a it's a great spot to go out there and um, and look at landing on, the, on that sort of environment on the... Uh, so picking... The thing with the, thing with the beach is it's... Um, it's it's never the same day to day. So you you like go you go one day and 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 have a look. The next day you come back, then because the tide's been in and out, the the beach has changed completely. So you could have you could have driftwood and and this sort of thing on the beach. So you you need to come in and you need to do do an inspection run and have a look at it, um, and then come back around. What we do is once you've once you've checked it out, come back around and just just run your you run your main wheels along the beach and just and just feel. Make sure it's firm enough before you you commit to going back around and, and landing. So if uh, if a pilot came over there, you've got pretty much every every type of flying you could want to do: mountain flying, land on beaches, land on remote strips. Yeah, I mean that's that, that it's uh, it's it's a very special environment, and that's that's kind of it. that's the reason why why I came here and uh, and I'm kind of lucky enough to be to be flying around here. Yeah. 
Well, it sounds brilliant. If, uh, let's say, a pilot uh, from the UK or anywhere else in the world wanted to come down and uh, do some flying when he was on holiday, uh, what would yeah. be the procedure when he arrived in New Zealand? Do you need to get a New, Ze New Zealand licence or what? Um, yeah, so it, it depends really on, on, on how long you're going to be here. Yeah. Um, so typically the sort of people, um, if you're going to be here for a couple of weeks on holiday, um, you, you probably don't want the hassle of, of looking at validations and converting your license and that sort of thing. So um, we do a lot of flying with, with, with pilots like that from, from Europe, from the States, from Canada and, and Australia as well. So um, if they want to come and fly around here, it'll they'll fly with one of our instructors and they can just they can log it as, as dual flying and, and we'll kind of tailor it to what they want to do. If they want to just sort of fly a sightseeing flight to Milford, then we'll just talk them through that and, uh, and help them out with that. If they want to do a bit of uh, a bit bit more sort of mountain flying training we can incorporate that into it um but typically those sorts of people will only do maybe one or, or two flights um while they're here if you're here for a bit longer um you can do a um a short-term validation um which um, basically will give you um your, your ppl privileges for six months um and to do that you need to do a, a new zealand bfr so obviously your, your overseas license and medical have to be current um, and you do a New Zealand BFR and um, provided you can uh, you, you pass the New Zealand BFR you get a basically get a piece of paper that, that validates your license to fly in New Zealand for, for six months um, and then if you want to look at converting your license then um, again if you come here with your current current overseas license and medical again you do a you do a New Zealand VFR you have to um, have to meet all of the New Zealand requirements for a PPL which um, which sometimes people with with overseas PPLs don't don't quite meet because we have a, a rule in New Zealand where um, you have to have five hours of instrument time um, for your PPL um, in in the UK I, I'm, I'm not sure but I believe you you don't have to have five hours, but you have to have done some instrument flying. Yeah, so so some people come from the UK might have done sort of two or three hours, so we have to sort of bump that up a little bit. Um, and also, um, low flying is the other thing that, that a lot of foreign pilots haven't haven't done, which is part of the New Zealand syllabus, is um, low flying. So looking at um, uh, low flying, precautionary landings, and that that sort of thing. So we we do that, and also the mountain flying, which is part of the, the BFR. So any of those elements that that they haven't covered in part of their PPL, wherever that's from, then they're sort of covered off as in in part of the BFR flights. Um, so once you've done that and you satisfy satisfy the instructor that you you can pass a New Zealand BFR, they sign that off, um, and you send that off to the the CAA with uh, with all the the paperwork for your. Um, we have what's called a fit and proper person check, which is where they they check your criminal record history and, and that sort of thing. So you um, send that off and they'll uh, issue you a, uh, a New Zealand um, PPL. Uh, now, Queenstown is uh, is known as the uh, adrenaline capital of the world. Is that right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, do any of your customers come along and, uh, and want something a little bit more exhilarating from the flying? Yeah. So if they're looking for that sort of thing, we've got the, uh, we've got the pit special, which is um, um, it's a pit S2B. Um, so for people who aren't familiar, it's a, a fabric um, biplane. Um, it's uh, two seats, um, tail wheel, and uh, it's got a uh, 260 horsepower engine, uh, Lycoming. Um, and we use that for, for sort of for, yeah for aerobatic joyrides. And you actually fly that yourself? Yep. 
Yeah, um, I've been flying that uh, not for too long, for about six months or so. It's certainly the most challenging aircraft I've I've flown so far. Doesn't um, look to me like you have a great deal of visibility out of there. Really. <laughs> no, uh, you don't. Especially and the, the pilot, you you fly it from the back, um, so you you solo the aircraft from, from the back seat. Yeah. Um, so yeah, forward visibility is is is, rest- is restricted in 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 in, in, in the pits. So um, yeah, I mean. So that makes um, obviously maneuvering on the ground um, a bit trickier. So you need to need to weave the aircraft as you would do with a lot of tail draggers. Um, but probably the the hardest thing is is um, the approach and landing, where you um, you need to fly a curved approach or you need to fly a, a side slip approach so that you can sort of maintain visual contact with the runway. Yeah. Um, and then as and then as soon as and then as as you start flaring the, the aircraft, you, you lose sight of the runway, so you, you're just using your peripheral vision um, to keep it straight. Um, and and you're, the other thing as well is you're approaching at 85 to, to 90 knots as well, so it's not so it's uh, a little bit faster than than a, than a 172 or a Cherokee that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay, well, that's great. Uh, to to summarise then, why should uh, an overseas pilot like myself come to Queenstown to learn to fly, or even just to uh, take a pleasure flight with you guys? Well, it's just. It, it's an awesome environment for for GA flying. Um, so you've got you've got all of these sorts of things in in one place. You've got the uh, um, you've got the mountains. Um, so you've got the experience of the mountain flying and the weather to interact with. It's it's some interesting um, and busy airspace. But also, but having said that, the, the control zone around Queenstown is is not that big. Um, and you're outside of you can be outside of controlled airspace in in sort of five minutes. Um, and then there's Huge areas of uncontrolled airspace to to go and to go and explore and um, and so you've got the freedom to do that. And there's lots of other activities in the area, aren't there? like uh, jet boating, bungee jumping. Oh yeah, yes, yeah, so you've got jet boating, bungee jumping, paragliding, um, all these sorts of adventure activities to do. So as a as a destination to do that sort of thing, it's kind of it's second to none. One of my questions was going to be why did you leave Morpeth, but I think you've uh, answered the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I could do this, if I could do that flying, then I they would, then I wouldn't have left. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, there's not many places you, you've got all this sort of stuff in one place. I mean, if you give me some photos, I'll stick them up on my website, and uh, you know, people can see just how beautiful the place is. It's absolutely stunning, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, it sure is, and I'll, I'll certainly send you some photographs for that. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, and where can uh, listeners find out more about uh, WAC? Um, it's probably the best place to start if uh, if to find out more information is just simply to go to our to our website which is www.wakatipperaeroclub.com so it's um, I'll spell that for you so it's Wakatipper is W-A-K-A-T-I-P-U um, and then aeroclub or one word dot com brilliant I'll stick a link on uh, on my website do you get back to the UK very often? Um, no the last time I went back was 2010 so that's the first time I actually been at the, the only time I've been back since I moved here in 2007, so it's just a little, a little bit too far to be to sort of do regularly. I know, I know, I know friends that that always go back for for Christmas and that sort of thing, but but with Christmas being sort of summertime, it's our busy time, so I tend to be taking time off in in our winter. Yeah, which kind of which is kind of good for going back home because it's summertime in England. It's just about bearable back here by then, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Now, what's the, what's the length of flight coming back? Quickest I've done it was when I flew out. When I flew out here, and I did it in 36 hours, I think, um, oh, which was basically um, Newcastle to Heathrow, Heathrow to Singapore, Singapore to um, Sydney, and then Sydney to Queenstown. Oh, dear. You only want to do that once every five years, don't you? Really? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. So, Have you ever thought of flying back yourself, you know, you know something small as a bit of a challenge? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that sort of thing. I think um, some people that do that sort of thing, I've, I've heard that the sort of paperwork and bureaucracy seems to be the hardest, yes. the hardest bit of it. Yeah. Um, and in terms of water crossings, once, once you've got to Australia, you've got the biggest water crossing out of the way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it'd be great to do that sort of thing. That's brilliant. Thank you very much, Alex. Great. No problem. Thanks. Pleasure. Alex Turnbull of uh, Wakatipu Aero Club there. Queenstown certainly looks like a great place to go flying, so if you're ever lucky enough to find yourself uh, in New Zealand, you must get down to Queenstown and uh, Wakatipu Aero Club. If you haven't seen any of the pictures of the area, have a look at uh, the Flying Podcast website, uh, flyingpodcast.co.uk. You'll also find a link to WAC's website there too for more pictures and details of the types of uh, flying available at the Aero Club. It's a really beautiful uh, scenic area, so have a look and uh, have a think about getting down there to do some mountain flying. Just a bit of news about the podcast. Uh, Don't forget, if you'd like to support the podcast, please visit the uh, Amazon website via the links on the Flying Podcast website and uh, maybe pick up a a few presents for your uh, aviation geek-type friends or relatives. Uh, The small commission I get from that will uh, help me keep the podcast running and uh, pay for a bit of the hosting. Well, that's it for episode 49 of Flying Podcast. If you have any comments, suggestions as usual for future episodes, or if you'd like to take part, you can, of course, email me on steve at flyingpodcast.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Speak to you again soon.